as that song uh, that we sang and got to listen to just now, it is our joy and it is our um, desire, if you will, that people in the gospel, in the freeing message of Jesus Christ would find rest for their souls. And uh, I find it appropriate that we get to listen to Don. If you don't know Don, who just spoke, one of our elders, and uh, I feel like I could sit at his feet. I've been angling for him to adopt me for years because I just want him to tell me stories. I feel like that's a part of my life I've missed by not being in Don's life earlier and stuff. And so I've got an idea or two for Don. Uh, One is that probably you should rent out porch time throughout the summer, about $100 an hour, and then uh, people can just kind of fill in the schedule and come and sit at your feet. And uh, you've heard of professional huggers, people that meet in the street, they just hug people because they know they need it. I need a story from Don. I'd pay 100 bucks an hour for that. Anyway. Second idea for you, Mr. Cole, is to record yourself for our uh, MP3 and CD trips in the car so we can hear that. I think there's money to be made, just saying. But it is our privilege, really, to come around the elements of the Lord's table. It's our privilege to be taught well. And uh, somebody else that I could listen to all the time is our guest this morning. He's our friend Sam Huggard from... Um, the New England district from the uh, Evangelical Free Church, which our church belongs to. And I explain this just briefly because, again, we've for week after week after week, we've been able to say, now, I know you're new to faith, so we're going to catch you up to speed a little bit on certain things. And that's a great thing for a church to, to have to say each and every week. So uh, if you don't know, uh, Sam was our, our really one of our closest friends walking through a time of leadership transition over the last couple of years and great resource to our leadership team and and even a great personal friend to me as I was pulling my hair out and coming off the rails from time to time and things. And so he and I uh, have had a bond that was uh, forged in fire and uh, he has been the oh, quite literally the Sam to my Frodo. Look at that. <laughs> Or to quote Gandalf, you've been a friend through many dangers. There you go. So anyway, I had to get a couple references in. I don't get to speak this morning. So uh, would you please join me in welcoming Sam Hugger? Well, thank you, Brent. Love the Lord of the Rings analogy. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, really good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, I was reflecting earlier this morning that it was a little over a year ago uh, that I was last here with you. We were celebrating uh, Brent uh, becoming the senior pastor, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the world changed. So, Brent, I'm sure you've had a really smooth sailing first year as senior pastor here. No problems to deal with. <laughs> what a year, huh? Quite a year. And I want to encourage you that God is at work in this year. God never brings his people into difficulty uh, for their harm, but always for their refinement. That's what scripture teaches us, that God disciplines those he loves. Uh, he is training, shaping, forming, forging our character. So this past year has been challenging, and it's actually an evidence of God's love for us. So I look forward uh, to how God is going to produce good fruit in and through his church because of the trials of this past year. And I want you to know how appreciative I am of this church, um, of its pastors and leadership. Uh, know that they have prayerfully uh, wrestled long and hard with how to lead you well in this difficult season. And so I have a deep appreciation uh, for your leaders and, and grateful for them. 
Well, this morning, uh, we're going to uh, be looking at Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 to 14. And uh, we're going to be considering uh, time for change. All right, time for change. So let me dig into, I'll read this passage, pray, and, and uh, we'll, we'll consider what God has for us. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, how thankful we are uh, that you have not left us uh, adrift in life without direction. I know right now in this year, um, there are a lot of things that are very uncertain. And at times we do feel uh, lost. Yet, um, you have given us enough uh, to know who you are to know where we're heading, to know how we are to live in this present age, and to know, Lord, how we can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this direction. God, I pray this morning uh, that your word would do uh, what Don talked about. It, it would break up our hard and stony hearts. Lord, that your spirit would produce within us uh, a softness, a tenderness of heart, Lord, that uh, we would be um, very receptive of your love and your guidance. And in turn, Lord, we would be loving uh, towards our neighbor. Lord, this is the change that you want to produce in us. And so we ask you uh, to work that in us today uh, by your word and by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but this season feels very uh, ripe for change. Maybe it's just the coming spring. Um, I, I'm looking forward to spring with a level of uh, appreciation that I don't think I've ever had before. I think it's kind of like the whole COVID hangover. Spring is coming, and we are just, I'm ready, ready for a vibrancy to life. Maybe you're like me in that. I don't know. But I think that most people in our country right now really do think it's time for change. Now, we may disagree as to what needs to change and how things can change, but I do think there is a great right now urgency toward change. Now, most of this urgency for change gets expressed in political kind of conversations. You know, how should certain laws and policies be enacted 
that could bring about the change we desire. That's a lot of what we see in newspapers and social media is different discussions about laws and policies to bring about change. I mean, just consider this past year as we talked, we went through the, the whole COVID uh, pandemic. There was lots of discussion about how to bring about a safe setting. Do we enact policies that heavily restrict our personal freedoms to create as safe as environment as possible? Or, or do we instead enact policies that promote individual freedom? And so there was great discussion between how to go about those policies, right? I mean, you think about every major issue in our society right now. Uh, I'll just name a few. There's a lot of discussion about the laws and policies that should be enacted around abortion, around racial justice, around sexuality and gender, around addressing poverty. And a lot of people have very strong opinions about what laws and policies should be enacted to bring about change. And the problem right now in our nation is we are so divided on our opinions about what laws and policies should be enacted that there's become great volatility, right? There's a lot of disagreement about that. Well, I am very thankful that as we come to the scriptures this morning, what we have here is a vision for change that is quite different to the conversation that's currently happening in our country. It's a different vision for change, and I hope you'll lean in with me, really listening in to what Paul has to say about the change that is truly needed. Now, first of all, I want to highlight two things. Um, that Paul does not say. I kind of, I was personally struck by this. When he's talking about change, listen to what he doesn't say is needed. First of all, he doesn't say that a change in external laws and policies is what is needed to bring about the change that we all desire. He's talking about the internal character and attitude within human beings that has to be changed. He, he says, love is the fulfillment of God's law. Now, it's, it's not that laws and policies aren't needed, but laws and policies can only restrain evil, right? We, we put laws in place because without them, we would just kind of go off the rails. But laws cannot transform a human soul. So Paul begins to list some of the things that we would like to see go away. I mean, life would be great if there was no adultery, no murder, no theft, no coveting. I mean, what a world that would be. Think of all the time we would save if we weren't dealing with that. But instead of putting in more laws and policies to keep those things from happening, Paul says what need, what's needed is people to become naturally loving people who do not do harm to their neighbor. That love fulfills the law. Now, now please understand, when he says love, he's not talking about love the way it's often used in our world today. This isn't a fluffy niceness. This is a deep sacrificial commitment for the good of your neighbor. And the problem with us as human beings is we all become naturally self-centered. And love is other-centered. So Paul is talking about the reorientation of the human soul toward God and toward others. So first of all, he says, it's not a change in external laws and policies, but a change in the internal character and attitude of the human soul. Secondly, and I think this was most striking to me in this passage, 
He is writing not about the change that is needed in the people outside the church, in government, in culture, in the larger society. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's writing about the change that is needed within the people of God. One of my uh, great literary heroes is a pastor and philosopher named Dallas Willard. And he has a quote that kind of gets at the heart of this. He says, the great need in the world today is not to get the uncommitted committed, meaning those that are not committed to Christ, to get them committed to Christ. He says, but to get the committed to live in the abundance of all that Christ offers. That's what the world is waiting on. That the great need in the world today is for the church to truly take hold of all that Christ is offering to it. Now, in the history of revivals, and revivals have happened again and again and again throughout history. Be very encouraged. I think in our day, I, I think God is preparing his church for revival. Revival always begins in the church, not in the world. Now, we naturally look out there and say, well, let's look at all that's broken in government. Look at all that's broken in our communities. And there is a ton of brokenness. But Paul is saying, let's look within the church. Different laws and different leaders out there really won't change that much. But for the people of God to truly become people who fulfill his law through love, it can and will change not only the church, but the world. So what Paul is giving to us in this passage is a vision for change of God's people being renovated to become people who naturally fulfill his law by love. And I think this is the change that is deeply needed today as well. So if uh, the beginning of this passage paints a vision for the change that is needed, the second half of this passage tells us how this change can happen. And that's where we'll spend the rest of our time today considering how we can be changed to become people who fulfill God's law by love. So for those of you that are note takers, I have two major application points, and then the second point has two sub points, all right? So if you're like me and kind of think in outline form, that'll help you out. Firstly, first thing we need to do if we're going to be transformed to obey God's law through love is we need to know what time it is. We need to know what time it is. Uh, look at the language Paul uses in verses 11 and 12. He says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Now, Paul is calling us to, to understand the time in which we live because change is often motivated by an understanding of time. I mean, consider this. Uh, an athlete typically plays with more urgency in a game than in practice, and especially as the game gets closer to the end. And just last night, uh, I got to watch my son online uh, play in his high school uh, basketball playoff. And there was a one-point game with a minute left. And these guys were giving it all. And also you can see the urgency. They were diving all over the court. They knew the game was on the line. It motivated their effort to play. 
and understanding of the time motivated their effort. Or for those of you that may be students, typically as the semester draws closer to a, its, its, uh, its end, um, you may be more motivated to study, prepare for your finals, get your projects done because the end is coming. So an understanding of the time motivates your behavior. Or for those of you that garden, you have to understand when you plant the seed, when you harvest. To do so at the wrong time ruins the whole process. An understanding of time drives our behavior. So what time is it, according to Paul? What's he telling us about the time in which we live? Well, he said, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. What's he talking about? Why is that so helpful for understanding the time in which we live? Well, let me try to tease this out with a, with a graphic. Uh, the overarching teaching of the scriptures is that there are two ages to the history of the world. All right. And Paul is talking about there being night and day. Actually, do I have it backwards? Here we are. Night and day. I always get the mirror image wrong. Night and day. The first age, Paul is calling night. Now, scripture uses a lot of words to talk about this first age. Um, you'll see in the scriptures talking about the present age or the former days uh, or the domain of darkness. A lot of language in scripture trying to describe the present age. Now, we're very familiar with this age. Uh, it's filled with suffering, with corruption, with sickness, with death. Everything that's going on that's wrong in the world right now, that's a product of night, of the present age. Now, there's also, though, the second age that Paul is calling day. Uh, it's the age to come, uh, or latter days. It's when God will make all things new in the world, or the kingdom of God. This is the world as we want it to be. No more suffering, no more corruption, sickness, or death. Love and life eternally. Now, what's fascinating is that scripture does not present these two ages as being separate ages, but overlapping. This was actually the great mystery that Jesus is trying to explain in almost all of his parables. Almost all of his parables are saying, how could the kingdom of God be here and Rome still be in charge? How, how could God be fixing this world and yet it still be broken? And, and so Jesus is saying things like, you know, the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. It's very small, easily overlooked, but it's going to become this massive tree that blesses all. And so, so it's always talking about the mystery of the kingdom, easily overlooked right now, yet here. And so it's this overlap of the ages that Jesus is trying to explain that in Jesus Christ, the day has begun. Jesus is the light of the world. When he was born, it's as though heaven invaded earth. And so God's kingdom has begun to work in the midst of this broken world. Matter of fact, when Jesus began his ministry, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he describes his mission this way. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is saying, the, it, the, 
is a new era. The time has begun. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Good news for everyone. Now, during this overlapping age, as Jesus began his ministry, he started demonstrating his ability to restore. His miracles are, are signs pointing to this age to come. He would heal the lame, give sight to the blind, even raise the dead. Everything that had gone wrong because of our sin, Jesus is able to make right. Yet it wasn't just his miracles that he came to perform. Far more than that, he came to deal with the source of this world's brokenness. We just celebrated this morning communion, where we remembered the death of Jesus Christ. Central to the overlap of the ages is the cross, where Jesus took upon himself our sin. You see, it's our resistance to God's rule that has caused everything to go wrong in this world. We want to decide for ourselves what's right, what's good. And when we do that, we are pulling away from the God who is the source of life itself. And as we have pulled away from God, things have gotten worse and worse. And when Jesus came and took our sin upon himself, he is dealing with the source of this world's brokenness. And so now, through faith in Jesus Christ, our sin can be forgiven. And we can be made right and whole. And we can be changed to no longer be living just for ourselves, deciding what is right and good, but to be living based on God's love and others' good. And so the cross at the center of this overlap is not only changing the world, it's changing us. Now, one day, this overlapping age will end. Jesus will return. And what a beautiful vision we have at the end of the scriptures, when all sickness, all suffering, death itself will be no more. But that's not yet. And so we live in the overlap of the ages, which is why Paul says, night is almost over, the day is almost here, we're in the overlap. You see, if you don't realize that you live in the overlap, you're going to have a very hard time truly loving. If you don't realize that the night is still here, that this world is still broken, you may become so upset by the brokenness of this world that it overwhelms you. And I think this year, a lot of people are overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world. And if this world is all that there is, if there is no age to come, no new day, might as well throw in the towel. But the night is almost over. The day is almost here. So when you realize that we live in the overlap of the ages, we can have great hope knowing we know what's coming. The restoration of all things. That Jesus' resurrection tells us that death is not the end. Jesus' resurrection tells us that's our future too. Uh, Listen to how author Trevin Wax Uh, describes the age in which we live. He says, the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the spirit means that God's new world has begun. The future has partially invaded the present. The seeds of the new creation have already begun budding in the old garden. 
And God's victory on the cross is now beginning to claim back territory in a world enslaved by sin. You see, when you know what time it is, you can live with great hope, even while we wait the fulfillment of that hope. So if we're going to become people who truly obey God's law by love, we first of all have to know the time that we live in so that we don't lose hope and just go along with everything of this present age. We look to what Christ will do and begin to live the way of life of the future, which is love. So first thing, know what time it is. Secondly, uh, this is the second metaphor that Paul pulls out in this passage. He first of all gives us the metaphor of time, and the second metaphor is the metaphor of clothing, that we have to get dressed in light of the time in which we live. If we're going to become loving people, we have to know what time it is and get dressed in light of the time in which we live. Now, most mornings, I get up for work before my wife gets up, which means most mornings I get dressed in the dark. Um, that's produced some interesting outfits over the years. Now, some mismatched socks. Uh, at times, I'll put back on yesterday's clothes that I didn't realize were still crumpled on the floor. Um, or the worst, though, is when I pull on my sweatshirt that has the hood on it and don't realize that I pull it on backwards. And so I pull it on, and the hood's there in my face, and I'm trying to pull it off and just wrangling in the dark. Getting dressed in the dark is problematic. And so Paul is telling us that in light of the time in which we live, um, we need to get dressed properly and not foolishly wear old clothes, yesterday's clothes. And this metaphor is talking about behaviors. He's saying behavior is like clothes. You can wear clothing that is fitting for the previous age or clothing that's fitting for the age to come. So he's telling followers of Jesus to... Get dressed with behaviors that are fitting for the age to come. What does he mean by this? Here's where the kind of two sub points come in. If we're going to put on these new behaviors, we have to do two things. Firstly, we need to put aside the deeds of darkness. That's one of, one of the uh, statements that Paul made. He said, put aside the deeds of darkness. Now, Behaving um, in the ways that he describes in this passage as being deeds of darkness, it's like putting on the wrong clothes. Now, our culture views most of these behaviors as fine things, maybe even fun and good things. But Paul is saying, if love is the eternal way of life, then these behaviors aren't fitting. Because these behaviors won't help you become a loving person. That's his rationale here. If love is the eternal way of life, then these behaviors won't help you live that way. So let me explain this a little further. He lists a few behaviors. I'll choose three to highlight. This is not a comprehensive list. He's just giving us examples of the kind of behaviors we need to take off if we're going to truly become loving people. One of the behaviors he lists is drunkenness. Now, God gave us wine to gladden the heart. Psalm 104.15 says, This morning we celebrated communion. God gives us wine to remember his death. He doesn't give us wine so that we could forget our problems or give vent to sinful passions. See, 
drunkenness is a foolish misuse of a good gift. It's putting on a behavior that doesn't lead to love. Now, drunkenness may lead to lust, but not to love. Because love requires self-control. Love requires thoughtfulness. And drunkenness prevents that. So Paul says, this is a foolish behavior. If you're going to become a loving person, take it off. The second behavior I'm going to highlight is sexual immorality. Now, in a similar way, God gave us the gift of sex as a good thing to express love within the covenant of marriage. That's God's purpose for it. Now, these past couple years, our culture has been reeling from the misuse of this good gift. And we've seen time and time again the gift of sex abused. Um, We see people um, treating sex not as an act of self-giving love, but as an act of self-centered pleasure and conquest. And so our culture has rightly condemned that kind of abuse. But it hasn't gone far enough. You see, it's not just things like sexual harassment that are the problem. It's any form of sexual immorality that the scripture says is outside of what God intends. So be it sexual harassment, pornography, casual hooking up, it's all a misuse of God's good gift. And you know why? Because none of it leads to love. You see, God put sex within the covenant of marriage because he's preparing us for the age to come, which is all about covenantal love, eternal love, committed love, faithful love. And so when we practice sex outside of the covenant of marriage, we're participating in the former age, not the age to come. Paul says, take off that behavior it's not really helping you become a loving person anyway. Last uh, uh, behavior I'll highlight that Paul says to take off, he says dissension or quarreling or jealousy. Um, Take off that behavior. Now, you know what we call dissension, quarreling, or jealousy in modern terms? Social media. Now, I'm not trying to say all social media is wrong, don't have anything to do with it, but isn't that how we typically treat social media? We use it to compare. So we put on social media uh, images or arguments or statements that make us look good and others look bad. It almost becomes a sport out of comparing and quarreling. And what this is is a misuse of relationships. You know, God gave us relationships, not so that we could compare ourselves to others and try to elevate ourselves, but so that we could love and have intimacy and friendship. It's a behavior that Paul says, take this off. It's not helping you become a loving person anyway. You see, in the overlap of the ages, we get to choose which clothes we wear. We get to choose which behaviors we put on. And God's telling us, take off the old clothes. They're not really helping you love anyone. Well, how do we set aside the deeds of darkness? How do we take them off? Um, It's not simply by just 
stopping them. I wish it was that easy. Just stop doing bad things. It's a little more hard. It's a little more difficult than that. I'll give you one step to take to put aside deeds of darkness. And it starts here. It's more than this, but it starts here. Start by seeing these behaviors as undesirable. What Satan would love you to think is that these behaviors are wrong, but fun. They're wrong, but desirable. Isn't this the lie that God might want you to be good? You know, everything else, though, is where the fun's at. And there's a lot of statements that make it sound like God's a joy kill. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We have to train ourselves, remind ourselves, everything that God tells us to do is for our good and ultimately helps lead us to love. Everything that God says not to do is keeps us from love. If you want love, then you want what God says. So it simply starts here. Train yourself that everything God says not to do is actually keeping us from love. Now, that is not all that we have to do, which leads me to our next application point. Paul says, take off the deeds of darkness. And then he says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it fascinating what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, take off the deeds of darkness and put on the deeds of righteousness. He doesn't say, stop doing the bad behaviors, start doing the good behaviors. See, that's how our world, that's how the former age talks about change. Don't do bad things, do good things. Good people are the ones who do the good things. Be a good person. But Paul knows humanity. And he knows that recipe is broken. And he gives us a different recipe. Christian change happens differently. Yes, we have to recognize the wrong. We need to repent of our sin. But becoming a loving person does not happen through our strength. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this for a couple reasons. First of all, we all lack the willpower to truly become loving people. At some point, we all fail to do the good things that we know we should do. At some point, we all fall short. And so if it's just up to our willpower, we're in trouble. But secondly, even when we do have a good run, even when we are able to do some of the good things we want to do, what it tends to do is not make us loving, but make us proud. I know if you're like me, when I start getting growth in one area of my life, I start thinking, why can't you do this too? What's wrong with you? Why can't you do the good things I'm doing? And see, even in our goodness, we start becoming people, not people of love, but people of pride. So Paul says, take off the deeds of darkness and clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul is giving us is not just a task, but an identity. Paul says, put on this new identity that you did not earn and you cannot maintain by your effort. It's one given to you by mercy and grace. That when you put on Jesus Christ, you're saying, I have been forgiven and cleansed of all that I did wrong. And I am now receiving the righteousness, the resume, the report card I didn't earn. 
Because of Jesus Christ, I am accepted. I am free from the power of sin. I am not alone in life. And I have authority over the kingdom of darkness because of this new identity. I'm putting on Jesus, his robes. And I love how Paul refers to these clothes. Not only does he say they're, they're new clothes we get, he says they're armor. He says, put on the armor of light. See, Jesus' identity is bulletproof. Every other identity in life, we can lose. If your identity is your work, at some point, you're going to get fired or you'll, re- you'll retire. There's only two ways out of your job. If your identity is your marriage, one of you is going to die at some point. If your identity is your kids, that can be lost. Anything else we put our identity in can fall apart. But Christ has pledged his love to us forever. We can know that we, we could lose everything in life and still have Christ. And when your identity is there, you have confidence, you have hope, you have peace. And guess what? You have love and a love that's lasting. So I'm not sure as you, as you listen to this this morning, where you're at right now. Maybe for you, God is impressing upon you uh, something in your life that needs to be taken off right now. I'd urge you not to just push that away, but to consider, God, what would you have me take off that is keeping me from love? Now, it's easy to see in others the behaviors they need to take off. The challenge is, what's God calling us to address? Remember, God never highlights things in our life that need to change to shame us always to grow us what needs to be taken off secondly what do you need to really remember about christ's identity have you come to the place of recognizing that jesus and jesus alone uh, can give you the identity you long for can give you the love that you long for can give you the hope that you long for never try to make change in life by looking at your sin without looking at Christ. Christ and Christ alone is our hope. What our nation needs right now is change. That's without a doubt. But the change that is needed is not the vision we so often see in the media. What we need is a change that comes from the age to come. It's for the church to put off the deeds of darkness, to put on Christ and become the loving people this world so needs a church that loves like that is a powerful force. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to close some prayer. Lord, I am so thankful that you have loved us at our worst. Lord, uh, you have, you see everything of the deeds that we have done when no one else was looking, the thoughts of our hearts, Uh, You see all of it, and yet you are firmly committed to us in love. So much so that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, we don't understand that kind of love. But we are so grateful. God, I pray that you would help us, your people, to be so captivated by your love, Lord, that we would be transformed. Lord, you know in our lives what needs to change, uh, the areas of darkness that we just can't seem to overcome. Um, the behaviors that are keeping us from love, and we know it, but just can't change. Lord, you know these areas. We pray that in your mercy, um, you would bring them to the light. 
that they could be turned from. And God, I pray that you would clothe us with your righteousness, with your love. God, I pray that our deepest identity would be in Christ, that uh, nothing else, no job, no political identity, no relational identity, none of those things, Lord, would be as important to us as you, what you have done for us, and the identity that we have in you forever. So thank you, Lord, uh, for loving us this much to send your son to die for us and give us the hope of life with you forever in a restored world. We long for that day. Until then, Lord, uh, please help us to be faithful, loving others about your business. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's best to you all. Have a great week.